as a type four, how do you feel when people will describe, blanket describe fours as a sensitive or moody type? I think the most offensive part of that for me is that there would be a blanket description that I would fit under. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram and the context of work. Allow me to introduce our guests today, who are both Enneagram Type 4s. First, we have Tucker Morrow, who is currently the Area Director for Young Life in the Central Texas area. Welcome to the show, Tucker. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and maybe something that you do for fun? Yeah, I'm uh, from Sugarland, Texas. I have a wife, Paige. We have three kids. Asher is six. Easy is four. Four and Noah is two. She's our little girl. And for fun, I love books. I love music and I'm a big sports guy. So um, no shortage of things that I like to entertain myself with. Our second guest is Rachel Whitmire, who is a jack of all traits. But what's super exciting about this season where we find Rachel is she is just starting the process of living out her childhood dream of running a coffee shop. So Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family and what you do for fun. Hi, I am a mom of four amazing boys, Reese, Kean, Liam and Link, 12, 11, 10 and 7. And we have a gorgeous adopted daughter. She's married and living in Austin. Fun is just literally what we do every day. There is, if we are not getting messy, we're on the baseball field or the football field or running cross country. And so it's a lot of, a lot of adventure with boys. Tucker, how long have you worked with Young Lives and what do you enjoy and like most about that job? I, so I was involved in Young Life in high school um, and then was a volunteer through college and then I've been on full-time Young Life staff since I graduated about 10 years ago, I love, I just love that it's different all the time. I get to work a lot with high school kids. I'm in the world of, of teenagers a lot, which is an exciting and scary place to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. But other days I get to fundraise and we have a board that I get to work with, um, get to train a lot of college leaders to go do young life as well. So maybe my favorite thing is that every day is potentially different. I get to do a lot of different things. Also love that I kind of have control over my schedule. I get to, you know, take one of my kids to lunch on a random Wednesday or do different things like that, um, which is which is nice to have that freedom. OK, you put fundraising in the list of things that you enjoy. Yeah. About your job. Tell me about that, because that sounds miserable to me. Uh, so it used to it used to be miserable to me. And there's times where it, where it still is for sure. But I think there's a lot of people who love what Young Life and similar organizations are doing and they want to be a part of it, but they don't have the capacity to walk into a high school three times a week. And so it's fun to be able to invite people to participate in that way. Which I feel like to some people probably sounds like semantics is like, you know, coloring up, asking people for money. But no, you're inspiring them to something. It's allowing them to join into something and be a part of something that they otherwise wouldn't be able to be a part of. And so I like it on that scale. I don't like the like big corporate banquet fundraising things, but on a personal level, when I get to go talk to somebody about what we're kind of doing and and how they can be a part of it. I love I love those conversations for sure. Vision casting and connecting people to something bigger. Definitely. All right, Rachel, tell me a little bit about your childhood dream. I have wanted to own a coffee shop since I was 11 years old. And it's just, 
it's something as a family, it's just what we did. You know, my dad was a shift worker. And so he would come home 10 o'clock at night and we'd put on a pot of coffee and we'd all sit around and have a conversation. And it's just, it's always been a part of everything that I've ever done. And I always felt that making a good cup of coffee, it's like, you just make relationship that way. You know, you hand somebody a, a a dope cup of coffee in like a really cool mug and they just, they just got their morning hug. So I always say that it's my love language, but just sharing that with people constantly is it's something I've always wanted to do. Now that I'm here, it's absolutely terrifying, but the way that Summer Moon is the coffee shop that I'll be working for, but the way that they're set up is completely relational. It's, we want you to come and sit down and hang out and be a part of, you know, something bigger. And so we want those groups to come and meet in, in our space. And so I think for me, it's a, it's a mashup of ministry and coffee at the same time, which is like, I feel like that's what I was made for. How do you know, Tucker, how do you know that you're a four? I mean, the most obvious answer is that I just really like sad things. And I think that the reason that I like sad things is because I'm really drawn to authentic things and sadness is not something that's usually faked. Mm, Whereas like excitement and happiness and all those things can be faked a lot. But I also, I think it's like, and maybe empathy is a part of that, but I just, there's this book that I read and this character who can do magic is trying to, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, is trying to uh, use magic to bless this little girl. It says like, can she, you know, that she would be shielded from pain mm. and what he, he messes it up and says, would she be a shield from pain? And so she walks around like feeling everybody else's pain physically and emotionally as if it's her own. And I was like, oh, I think that that's me. I think that yes. I'm that person. And so like I... Like if I finish a book or watch a show, it takes me a while to like shake off all of the emotion and stuff. Like Paige, when we were dating, made me watch P.S. I Love You. Uh, and it was like days where I was like, I am still shaken up by this. I have um, to tell myself they're just characters. Yeah. Like, all the time. Wow. We're, we're not actually friends. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> this is not awful. happening to me. Yeah. Uh, and then other than that, I, I would say like this, that weird balance of like, I want to fit in, but I want to be different at the same time. And so it's this weird tension of like, do I sacrifice authenticity to fit in yeah. or do I sacrifice fitting in to be authentic? When I first heard about the Enneagram, I read the type two and the type nine description. I was like, I guess is you know, kind of fit. And then I got home and I thought someone had died because Paige was like, Tugger, you have to come see this. And so I read the type four description. It was like, Oh my gosh. Like it was this, I was, I was super like this moment of like, Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Mm. And there was this incredible feeling followed by the like, but actually I think I might be the only one. I don't know that there's anybody else like that. So, so how would you explain the core desire for a type four, this desire to know themselves fully, to be authentic uh, and yet be unique to somebody who maybe doesn't or is not familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah. I, I think I would say that for me, it's almost like a puzzle with like a missing puzzle piece. And every time that you feel like you're, you've got, you've narrowed it down to what the missing puzzle piece looks like, it feels like it shifts. Mm. And so the challenge is to remind yourself constantly, and I have to do this daily, that there is no missing puzzle piece. Type fours are really keyed in on the fact that like eternity is different than the current place we find ourselves 
And so I think there's a longing for things that aren't able to be fulfilled in this life. And mm-hmm. so it's just this, this constant, like, Oh, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. I mean, I remember in college and Paige and I've been dating since we were 19 years old. Um, and so she got to experience all of these swings, but it's just like, I just knew I was supposed to like create something, but I didn't know what it was. And so I like got into stop motion for, I was like, that's it. I'm going to do stop motion. And so I like bought Play-Doh and like, I didn't know what I was doing. And then it was like, well, maybe I'm a writer or maybe, uh, uh, maybe I should, should learn to paint or maybe whatever it is. Like there's just this deep, like I've just got to create something. And so Mm -hmm. it's just a, it's a constant tension of reminding yourself that there's nothing missing while feeling like there is. I feel like that's the, the constant thing with fours is like feelings aren't always reality and constantly going like, I've got to acknowledge that I'm feeling this way, mm-hmm. but remind myself that it probably also is not the truth in the mm-hmm. situation. Rachel, how would you explain that desire to be unique and authentic to yourself, to somebody who doesn't know the Enneagram? Yeah, I think, I think that's the big for me, that's the big is the creativity portion of it. And, and I think that's where I'm, this might not answer the question properly, but I think that's one of the concerns I have in the new direction that I'm going is where is the creativity going to be able to come in? Because in my current situation, I'm able to be free to make things, to build with my hands, to do things physically. And then I have something to show for it. So with this new position, what's, what is there going to be to show for it? Like there is no table to be built or painting on the wall or something like that. So how am I going to incorporate the authenticity of who I am, Mm -hmm. which is the way I do things is unique. The way I do things is different, but are people actually going to see that? But then if they see that, is that going to be like, Oh, they saw that, you know? So it's, it's this weird balance of, of wanting to be recognized for, Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I like the way you did that. And then also just trying to hide in the shadow so that because you feel like you just don't measure up to what everybody else is measuring up to. Or, you know, I guess textbook wise, what a general manager should look like. I'm going to shift gears here and talk about core fears now. So, Tucker, for you and your work setting, where do you see your core fear come up? And then what does that core fear look like? Is this this fear of being ordinary? Is this this fear of being inauthentic or a fear of not creating enough? Yeah, I think probably all of those. I feel like my, my fear is like a conveyor belt that like ministry and young life just become this repetitive. Like mm-hmm. we do this, then we do this, we do this. I probably reinvent the wheel four times a week. Sometimes that's not good. Sometimes it's like this works. We just need to, to just do, it. do it. But that that's definitely fear. I think that the deepest fear is like, like there's a, there's a shade of like mysteriousness that I enjoy. And I wouldn't say like I work towards it, but I like that, that I feel like there's not a lot of people who know me really, really well. And I mean, I'm like, I'm six foot five and a big dude. So people draw assumptions about me that generally don't line up with type fours and with that. But uh, I think the fear there is like someone really, really knowing you and then being like, I don't know that this job is for you. Because I know I'm I'm very different than a lot of my good friends who are in the same role that I am all over Texas. And so the, there's that that constant fear of like, I don't measure up if I'm scoring it the way they score it. Mm. But I don't want to measure up. But also I can't help but feel inadequate 
But if I try to do the job the way they do the job, then I'll be terrible at it and burn out quickly. But fortunately, my my boss is great and knows me well and is able to direct me in ways that are helping me live kind of into into the fullness of of who I am. But yeah, the, the biggest the biggest fear there is just it's comparison. And it's this weird comparison where you you don't really want to be compared to anybody else, but there's nothing else to compare yourself to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we battle between because we battle between feeling good enough or not enough. Everybody has a standard, right? And so employers or jobs or society, whatever it is, like there's a standard for something. And sometimes I don't want to hit that standard because that's what everybody does. But at the same time, if I don't hit that standard, now I've fallen short of what somebody's expectation was. So I think that freaks me out the most is that what are, and I think sometimes you don't know what other people's expectations are for you. You know, the people that hired me, they, they, they said they hired me because of my creativity, the way I look at things, the way I do things, that kind of stuff. But is that going to be enough for the job that you're asking me to do? Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the things that make me fear real people jobs. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. And I think, too, that there's the, the next idea is always more exciting than the current idea, mm-hmm. because the current idea, like ideas are so much fun when you don't realize, like, I'm like, I've got this great idea for a story. Mm-hmm. Like this plot is incredible. And then you go to like, you're like, man, it's a lot of work. To Execution write this. is like, uh. <laughs> get, you get a couple paragraphs in and you're like, you know, what's a better idea is if we do something else. But yeah, that's, I like all page will come home and I'll be having to do like cash flow for young life. And I'll just be sitting up slumped up against the wall, just playing guitar. She's like, this is not where I left you. I just don't want to do this. I want to do something that matters. And, and that's the, like, you know, it matters, you know, you have to do it and it's good, but yeah, it is a, it can be a difficult a difficult stretch to get into that. Like I've got to just, I've, I, ambiance is really important for me. And the, yes. those instances, I've got to be in a place where I can focus. And, uh, I feel like an hour of like accounting type stuff feels like four hours mm-hmm. to me. What advice would you give for type fours who are hearing this and saying, yes, I don't want to do any of the boring stuff. I, I can't stand the repetitive tasks. Uh, I think a, a big help for me has been what I just said is ambiance. So I like to, I like the lights low. I like to light candles. I like to have things that I like looking at on the walls and yeah. just like being in a space where I feel like it's almost like that kind of helps with my creative energy is just even being in that space to do some of those things. Another thing that I do, and I don't know if this helps anybody else, but I like to switch up the order that I do things. Mm. So if I have three things I have to do every day, um, I don't want to just do those three things in that order all the time. Cause you see all these like productivity stuff, like none of these have ever worked for me because <laughs> I like day four, I'm like, this is awful. Uh, and so just even switching up or taking breaks. And I think too, like taking breaks, but letting those breaks, like being really disciplined into what those breaks are. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if I scroll Instagram or Twitter for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. it's not gonna, 
I'm not refueled at all. But if I read a chapter of a book that I really want to read or I like try to draw something, just do something that fuels me in those 15 minutes, then that re-energizes me to, Mm -hmm. to keep going with all the lame stuff that I have to do. Really good tip. I love that. Rachel, how about you? What advice would you give? I do have to repeat to myself a lot. One of my sweet one friends says this to me often, but we can do hard things. So there are times where it's just, this this is what it is. This is just... You have to put the spreadsheet together and yes, it can be colorful, but it's still going to be boring. So it's, it's a lot of times it's just telling myself we can do hard things. But, um, I think another thing for me is, is in terms of space, it has to be my space. Mm -hmm. I can't be sharing. It's not a common ground thing. Like I'm going to do my work at the kitchen table or I'm going to, you know, it has to be a space that just I can fit in. So now I can do the hard things. Where do you feel like your type fourness really helps you shine at work? I think the creativity piece is huge. I think maybe the biggest thing is I I feel like I talked a little bit about empathy, but I think I have the ability to kind of feel the room pretty well and have a good pulse on if I'm in front and in charge of what's going on. Got a good pulse about what we're planning, how it's going to go, how we need to shift it to kind of adjust to, to where people are. Um, but I think probably the, the biggest thing would just be the, the empathy piece and just being intuitive with how people feel and being able to kind of, I feel like fours have a lot of conversations on, on the other people's side of the court. Like I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm able to relate to what you're saying and I'm comfortable being on your side of, of this. And I think that helps a lot, whether you're convincing someone to do something that they don't want to do or relating to someone or having difficult conversations. I feel like that's an advantage to be able to kind of bridge that gap and find common ground pretty easily. Mm -hmm. I had a counselor tell me one time because I am a doer with people's advice or problems, they come to me and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you should do. Here's what it is. It's not always helpful. But she, she told me, she said, most of the time people want you to sit in the dark with them. And I think fours are really gifted. I admire that, uh, that ability and willingness to sit in both the good and the bad emotions. Yeah, I think, and I think it just, it, it's almost, it's like a skill that I've never had to think about. You know, it just has always been like, Like I can just kind of feel what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that too, is it's like, there's, you know, Paige and I get to play counselor to a lot of college students Mm -hmm. and high school students and Paige is much more of an advice person. And sometimes it's like, you need advice. You don't just need to sit here and cry with Tucker for three weeks. (laughs) Like you gotta get up and go do something. Mm -hmm. But definitely I think the first move is, is to just be with people and what they're feeling Mm -hmm. um, and validate the feeling, if not necessarily the situation. Where do you feel like your fourness shines in a work setting? I am a social four. And so I think in the job that I'm going to be going into and in jobs, corporate jobs I've had in the past, again, it's, it's reading the room. It's knowing, it's knowing what, like what person is coming in and they just need to chill by themselves and do something and being aware of that or, or when there's somebody that you you know, they kind of need that, like they want to have a conversation, you know, sometimes you get stuck with those people in the grocery store line. Like you can just tell and feel when somebody is in need of connection. And so I think that that's what it is. That foreness that comes out is that connection with people. My creativity comes out in that, in being able to do that in a way that not necessarily somebody else would have done it. And I do often find that people are surprised, like, oh, I didn't, didn't really expect I was going to tell you that, or I didn't expect that was going to, you know, come out or may I just feel comfortable with being able to say, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
And I think that that part of my foreness is what's going to make this business successful. Absolutely. Tucker, do you have that too, that experience where people are like, I am surprised I just told you that. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think I heard somewhere, uh, maybe it was Ian Cron or something talked about how fours are kind of able to help people shepherd their emotions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's been true in the, in the same way that Rachel just said of people are like, I met you in the line at the grocery store and I'm telling you about the struggles I'm having in my marriage or whatever it is. And so, um, but I think like, I think part of that is the fours, it, one of the gifts is going like, Hey, I've, I've been in the dark places and they're not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them certainly are, but a lot of time it's like, you're spending so much energy running from this feeling. Uh, and it really is, is not something that needs to be ran from. I like that in my maturity of knowing more about being a four, but then also just being an adult. I like that I've been able to be comfortable being that person, but also finding in close relationships that I have with other people. Forcing is the wrong word, but it's the only word I can think of, but kind of forcing people to stay in the yuck sometimes because I've got, I have several friends who are seven. So they're constantly going to reframe what's going on. Like everything's fine. Everything's good. We're all good. And then I've got my, like my husband is, is more like, okay, the bad thing is finished. Now we move on and we look for the next, you know, strategy on X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, but really actually let's just stay here for a minute and realize that this sucks, you know? And then, so there's just different times where I think I've been able to say to the people that are closest to me, you're going to stay here a little bit longer because you have not finished that feeling yet. And I think we need to walk through the whole thing. Here's something that I've been dying to ask type fours. And I hope it's not offensive. A lot of times I will read in the type four description somewhere. There's always these two words, sensitive and moody. And if somebody described me that way, it would be very offensive. Uh, but when I read the type ones and they, and I see judgmental and critical, I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. And I'm not offended by that. So how do you, as a type four, how do you feel when people will describe blanket describe fours as a sensitive or moody type? I think the most offensive part of that for me is that there would be a blanket description that I would fit under. <laughs> But I mean, it, it's in, at least for me, it's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very sensitive. I and, said, mm-hmm, like, yeah. I know you. I'm like, yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. absolutely. But, <laughs> it's uh, very moody. Yeah. And, and both of those things, they're definitely true. Uh, sensitive is one that bothered me a lot when I was growing up. Yeah. I think that may even be like a male for thing. A lot of, like sensitivity in males is not a good thing a lot of times culturally and in society, which is hilarious because like on the same hand that like that's being said, you know, there's a whole population of women are like, I wish that the guy that I was dating would be more sensitive, you know? So it's this weird tension, but I'm very sensitive. I think as I've, I've grown, I've been able to put a filter in place where I'm able to kind of like translate things to myself. And so I don't get my feelings hurt as much, but words definitely sting me for Mm -hmm. sure. And I've realized, like, especially hanging out with friends when you're kind of making fun of each other back and forth, I realized like everybody's having fun and we're all trading jabs, Mm -hmm. but the jabs that I'm receiving are really stinging. And a lot of my friends, I know they're not, and they're not intending to sting me when they're just laughing at all. It doesn't bother them. They're not going to go think about it for two hours while they're trying to go to sleep like I am. And moody is moody for sure. Moody in the sense of like my moods change 
very quickly. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I can almost manufacture a mood. Like if I'm like, I want to be sad, yeah. I can make myself go be sad. Yeah. Or if I, you know, there's music is real helpful mm-hmm. for that. Like, do you find but, it harder though to be like joyful? Oh yeah. I find it so much harder to, yeah. to flip to being joyful. Yes. Then I almost have to go to the mirror and be like, you're going to be happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's so much easier to go to that melancholy or like oh, yes. place, like a memory or a song or a smell. It's like, Oh, I yes. feel sad now. Yeah. And, and wow. for, there's a, I don't know if you remember the show, everybody loves Raymond, Absolutely. but there's one where his wife, Deborah, he comes home and she's crying and he's freaking out and he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I just wanted to cry. He's like, why would you want to cry? And I was like, I get it. Yeah. Like yeah. I'll, I'll be sort of sad about a memory. And I'm like, I think I'm going to go into my office and watch like a sad video with a song and just cry for a minute. Yeah. Just cause I want to, <laughs> I need to. Which is part of processing that. About yeah. Just, I've got to feel it fully yes. and then I can go, okay, I can move on. Yeah. But yeah, I would say like those blanket statements are, uh, there's, there's a reason that those blanket statements for the Enneagram, like most people like read the blanket statement of their type and they're like, Oh, and they're definitely, they're definitely true. I think, I think they're, they're, they're very surface level though. So mm-hmm. I think moodiness isn't always like, I'm not just always in a bad mood. I, just I think didn't. that's the hard part yeah. is yes. As if you hear the word moody, like you would hear it as, Oh, you're moody. But for me, it's that it's that wave of like I right now I'm happy, but in a moment something could make me feel sad. But it doesn't mean I'm going to stay there because five minutes later I'm going to feel something different. You know, so I think that's the, the moodiness that is usually a blanket statement is, is that there are so many moods, so many emotions, even in just like a split moment. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they're intertwined, you know, you can feel that like joy or elation, but you're also feels deeply sad. So I'm going to end with this question for you guys. What would you say to a type four who is just sitting in this place of inadequacy? That's been a huge part of my story with young life is looking around and going, oh my gosh, all these guys are unbelievable. And, um, uh, like I am definitely 10th out of 10 of, you know, this group of people. But I think part of it is, is appreciating the difference and, and going like, man, that guy's really good or that girl's really good at what she's doing. And I can celebrate that without comparing myself to it. Mm-hmm. I also just have to have a really good memory because I forget really quickly the people who are in my corner and the people who love me when I get into that place of like, man, I'm, you know. I'm inadequate. The other thing I think is, is there is like the hard part of it is there's a discipline or it's like, there's times where you've just got to tell yourself, like, this is not the truth and you're being a little bit ridiculous and you need to pull yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. And I would say I've gotten a lot better at that over the years. I used to like have dark three or four days where I just was like, nobody loves me. Mm -hmm. And then you look for ways to kind of reaffirm that. Yeah. Cause you kind of get that feeling and you want to just, keep adding logs to that fire. When I was, when Paige and I were 22 and newly married, that was probably a once every two months thing. And now it's probably a once a year thing. And you can, you know, so it's just as this thing, you've just got to remember all the people who are in your corner and also like not lie to yourself and stop yourself when you realize like, okay, I'm starting to, to accentuate 
this feeling that I'm going to validate that I really, I'm feeling this way right now, but I'm not going to allow myself to just like bury into it mm-hmm. is, is probably what I'd say. And having, having a couple of different people that can have hard conversations with you is that will validate the way that you're like, you don't need a drill sergeant, right? but you need a good coach who's going to be like, okay, I, I understand where you're at, but you still, you need to, you need to take a few steps this way. What would you say, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, I, I, he said it all well. Um, I've also learned through the lens of the Enneagram to not put such strong expectations on the people around me because there's things they're not capable of doing in my life. I can't expect my seven friends to be there for me deeply emotionally to go through the sad moment. I can't. There's That is not going to happen. But at the same time, when I need my rear end kicked, like I'm not calling another four. (laughs) Well, I need to find somebody that has that grit or that determination to get me out of that space. And so I think knowing the Enneagram, I'm almost like, do you know what number you are in every conversation? So that way I know I don't have an expectation on you that I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But also you can know where I'm coming from. Right. Yeah, I heard somewhere that uh, the the difference between like melancholy and someone suffering with depression is that it's the same destination. Um, but in melancholy, you can leave whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. And people who are suffering with depression can't. They're, they're stuck in that place. And so that's what it is. Like, it's just you've got to have people who can tell you, like, it's time. It's time to leave. You got to You got to come back now. Well, thank you both for your insights and a look into the heart of the type four. I so appreciate your vulnerability and your courage to share with us today. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram Type 4's Tucker Morrow and Rachel Whitmire. If you enjoyed this interview, would you please share it with another Type 4 or someone you think may benefit from learning about the Enneagram Type 4? Also, please consider rating this episode and writing a review explaining what was most helpful to learn about the Type 4. Thanks for all of your support, and I'll see you next time.